his words with interest. Christ almighty, who does he think he is, John Betjeman? Silence in court, bellowed an usher. The judge continued, Society must be protected from such a monster whose soul is the very embodiment of evil. Strong words, whispered Timothy Slade, crime reporter for the megaphone. Let us hope he backs them up with a sentence to match. Not a chance, snarled Glass. Now there's too soft. He's been swayed by all the pussyfooting do-gooders who'd rather send a killer to the hospital than to the hangman. Lord Chief Justice Lowther droned on. Were it not for the confidence in your deep remorse expressed by the probation officer and your psychiatrist... I should have no hesitation in sending you to prison for life. Trevelyan continued to smirk. He was an ugly man. His face was unshaven, his drooping moustache aged him beyond his twenty years, and his hair hung in a dank, greasy lump that scarcely covered the boil on his neck. Dressed in a short-sleeved, dark-blue nylon shirt and black slacks, he looked well ready for the prison exercise yard. Now he stared defiantly at the bench, his grey eyes offering an over-challenge to the judge. As it is, I sentence you to seven years' imprisonment. Trevelyan's smirk took on a look of triumph as he was led from the dock. Why not give him a bleeding medal while he's at it, growled Glass as they filed out into the street. No wonder the crime rate doubles and people are afraid to go out into the streets alone at night. No wonder folk want to set themselves up as executioners. It was the day after the letter to the Times, and Glass was inclined to side with the writer. There's the old man's widow, said Slade. He pointed to a hunched figure leaning against the stone wall. Her tragic countenance contrasted vividly with that of the gloating youth in court. Glass nodded grimly. I was in the morgue when she identified him. Took her five minutes to be sure he was that badly disfigured. I reckon she'll be dead within six months. Nothing to live for. And in seven years that lad will go free. Five if he gets remission. And he will. He'd have to bugger the governor in his bed not to get remission these days. Colour TV in their cells, wine-making in the afternoons, requests on the Jimmy Young show, and at Christmas. Here, Glass's voice broke into an interesting falsetto. At Christmas they let the bleeders out to visit their sick mothers. The detective emitted a grunt of disgust and dug deeply into the pockets of his brown ex-army surplus greatcoat, Lord Kitchener Vintage. If it was up to me, I'd have the bastards chained to the wall and flogged. Cigarette? He proffered a red packet of Craven A. No thanks, I've given them up. Timothy observed the logo curiously. God, do they still make those things? I believe there are one or two of us left still smoking them. Glass struggled with a match in the brisk March wind. They walked along the front of St. Paul's. Even on this cold winter day, the cathedral steps were dotted with tourists, many of them white. "'You mentioned the executioner before,' said Timothy. 
Do you think it could be for real? Hard to say, said Glass. Do you fancy a drink? I should be getting back with my report. Rubbish. Phone it in. They won't miss you. You're not Lord Northcliffe yet, you know. Besides, the megaphone doesn't go to press until nine. Glass spat a piece of loose tobacco from his mouth. It landed unnoticed on the peaked cap of a lady traffic warden. Come on, we'll take a cab. The detective stepped unheralded into the road, forcing an oncoming taxi to execute an impressive emergency stop. You fucking lunatic! screamed the driver volcanically. His tone changed when he recognised his passenger. Oh, hello, Mr Glass. Didn't realise it was you, sir. Little ship patrol car, have you? He grinned, exposing a mouthful of intermittent teeth that bore passing resemblance to a vandalised graveyard.